In this episode of Full Stack Radio, Steve Sugar and I answer your design questions and share all of the details about our upcoming book and design resource, Refactoring UI. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 103. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wathen, as always, and today it is my pleasure to be speaking with my buddy, Steve Shoger. How's it going, Steve? Good, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, can't complain. So, I thought uh, today would be fun to have you on the show again and do kind of like a design Q&A episode. Uh, a lot of people really liked the first episode we did where we just kind of shared a bunch of design tips for developers. And uh, I thought it'd be cool to grab a bunch of questions from some of the listeners and try and answer them on the show. And then also maybe spend a little bit of time talking about our refactoring UI, which is this product that we've been working on for a few months now that's going to be coming out uh, pretty soon. So yes. how's that sound to you? Sounds great. Cool. So why don't we just jump into the very first question here? So the first question was from someone on Twitter who goes by the name of Jip. And they asked, what is your brainstorming sort of getting started, you know, workflow like when you're starting on a brand new design and trying to figure out what direction you should take it in? Yeah. So every project starts with me sort of staring blankly into the air for like two (laughs) days straight. And, um, I start to get stressed out after day two. And then um, usually like I'm like browsing dribble within this time or just looking for trying to find inspiration on a variety of sites. And then I just get something like maybe just steal an idea from dribble just to get an idea out, just to get the juices flowing. Or maybe I'll start like drawing something on an iPad. Um, But then once I have like that basic idea out, um, then I might make another one that's like a, a bit different than that one. And then, it's a pretty messy workflow. Like I have a lot of artboard set up on sketch and it just gets really messy really quickly. But, um, by the end of it, there's something maybe unique there. Um, and then usually I'm like getting feedback from other people as well within this time. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think what's interesting to me about that is, um, I think a lot of people who aren't like great designers or trying to learn design, they kind of, they kind of assume that people who are really good designers, are always just able to kind of just like sit in front of like a blank artboard and like put together some beautiful design using only like intrinsic inspiration because they're just like so good at design that they can just invent something from scratch. Um, so I think it's cool to hear that even someone who is an experienced designer is still starting by looking for other ways people have solved similar problems or ways to kind of just borrow ideas and approaches uh, from other places just so you can kind of have something to start with yeah definitely like a lot of people assume i'm just like a really like this sketch wizard who just wh- whips something up like they watch the, my youtube videos and they think i'm kind of doing everything really quickly but i'm spending like a lot of time prepping that and and thinking about what i should be doing it, it takes the process takes a long time and i think that's what like one thing like developers need to like think about in the process like it just it takes a long time to make something good it's not just gonna like come to you instantly cool so the next question that we have is from a mitch on twitter and he asks how do you develop your own style because uh, he's worried that he feels like he's always copying other people and that his stuff kind of just looks derivative i guess and not really original yeah i think it's important to know that um designers feel the same way <laughs> like design. i feel like 
especially like earlier in your design career, like if you're developing, you want to start designing, it's like, it's okay to copy. Um, but maybe try to copy from a lot of different ideas. Um, and, and you're going to find that you're going to find things you like and things you don't like. And eventually you'll develop your own style from there. Um, and you probably won't even realize that you have a style. Like, like I sometimes think I don't, I don't have a style, but then like, you know, obviously you'll see something that I've designed and you're like, Oh, that's like something Steve Sugar designed. You can kind of see it, but like, I don't know what it is that makes it a Steve Sugar design. So, and that's just kind of happened over time. I've kind of developed this Steve Sugar look. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think like, um, a good analogy for that maybe is like music, right? Like when you start a band, you always feel like you're just kind of ripping off like your favorite bands, you know, you're kind of borrowing like the way this band would play this riff and maybe like a section kind of inspired by this breakdown that this other band wrote or something. And if you ask people who are, who are in these bands, like they'll tell you like, Oh yeah, this song is like a ripoff of this band. But like you as the listener might not even really see the connection. Like you might even listen to the songs back to back and kind of be like, I don't really agree. Like, I think you're doing something different, but as kind of like the person who's feeling inspired by something else, you always kind of like maybe discredit your own little touch that you're putting on things. Exactly. It kind of just, you kind of like create a style in the workflow almost too. Like, yeah, the band example is a good analogy because if there's a band I'm really into and I know they have a new album coming out, I'll be like checking out like, and they'll be maybe talking about what inspired that album when the album comes and I'll listen to those albums that they talk about and then I'll listen to the album and I'll be like, okay, well it's just like, that's just their own take on that sound. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So next question. Uh, this one is from a couple different people actually asked basically the same question here. So Sam and Jonathan both ask basically, how do you choose fonts for a new, uh, project because you know there's so many fonts to choose from how do you know which ones are good and uh, what services do you usually get your fonts from yeah so i have a few personally i have a few like go-to fonts i've been using um and it's just like i've discovered these fonts like maybe a while ago and i usually discover these fonts through like maybe i'll be browsing on a website and i'll use the dev tools to see what fonts being used on that site and i'll make note of it and um Maybe I'll find that font on like a service like Typekit or Google Fonts, and I'll kind of add it to my list of fonts that I use regularly. And they're just kind of the same fonts I keep going back to. Um, that's how I learn about new fonts. Like there's other sites like I check out a site called FontsInUse.com, and that's a great site that just shows it's just kind of a collection of fonts in use. Is exactly what it's called, and uh, you can just kind of browse um, maybe a font you like, and you can kind of see how it's being used on like whether it's an interface or a book. Another way I learned about fonts is just like by going, I learned about foundries over the years after like learning about a font, then I'll Google it and then I'll see the foundry site and then maybe I'll find other fonts by that foundry that I like. So just to clarify for people who don't know, by foundry, you mean like the company that created the font? That designed the font. Yeah, exactly. So usually if they design like one good font, they probably have a few more that they've designed that are kind of a similar style. Um, And I mean, I always encourage people to tag fonts on dribble shots. They don't do that enough. Um, I wish they would do that more. So you mean, so like if you see a dribble image that you like being able to just know what font they used for that. So you can kind of yeah, put that exactly. away in your own. So I can kind of add it to my own collection of yeah. fonts that I go to. So if someone doesn't already have like a collection of fonts that they've sort of curated as like their go-tos, how could they go about trying to find 
you know, fonts that, first of all, I guess, look good. And second of all, um, that other people are going to think look good. Because I think one of the biggest struggles with choosing fonts for people who don't have like a super good eye for typography necessarily is just like not knowing is this font even good? Like it looks fine to me, but is someone who's like, you know, really picky yeah. about typography going to be like, uh, you dummy, this is a horrible font, you know? Yeah. So like, I mean, the one method of which I've already talked about is using the dev. T- if you see a font that you like on a website, go to the inspect tools or the dev tools and, and see what fonts being used. Another way is like, if you're using like a service like Google fonts, um, so like services like Google fonts or like Adobe, it used to be Typekit, but now it's Adobe fonts they kind of have this filtering option on their site and you can kind of browse the fonts by on Google. You can kind of browse it by popular fonts and with the popular fonts, you're going to get all the good ones at the top. And then you can have an option to like pick the amount of weights that you have on a font. So I'd say like a font with like six to eight weights. First of all, it gives you a, a good amount of weights to work with, but also I find that when a font has more weights, it, it's kind of a, a good indicator that it's a quality font um, that way you're going to get like a lightweight, a regular weight, a semi-bold and a bold and all the italics to go with that. Yeah. It kind of, kind of just communicates that someone has spent a lot of time like fine tuning it. If they put the effort in to create like a thin and ultra thin, a bold, medium, black, semi-bold, like someone yes. spent all the time kind of fine tuning all those. And that's yeah. probably not just like a font that they kind of hacked together for fun and didn't think too much about all the little details on. Yeah, like so on Google fonts, like I'd say just go to the popular fonts because um, there's so many fonts on Google fonts and a lot of them aren't good. They're they're like a lot of the fonts designed on Google fonts. They're designed by someone like learning how to design a font and they just kind of make it free. Yeah, um, like I encourage people to use like uh, uh, services like Typekit or Adobe fonts or fonts.com. There's half of their fonts. There's a bunch of services out there and there you're going to get a lot. Number one, fewer uh, fewer options, and I'd say more qu- high quality fonts. Yeah, within those. Awesome. So another question that we got uh, this is from actually I think we probably got like six or seven people basically ask the same question, which is how do you make like really data dense UIs, especially stuff like tables that have a lot of data in them? How do you kind of make it so that you're including all the information that people want to see in these tables, uh, but somehow still make it actually look like visually pleasing. And then how do you deal with those sorts of things on mobile when you basically have like yeah. no screen real estate to display at all? Yeah. People ask me that a lot just regularly. Um, like, first of all, like if you, if you follow me on Twitter, um, go to my profile and go to like on the top tab, there's like a moments you can see all the uh, moments and I have a moment of all like the tips I've shared. And there's a few table tips in there about uh, just how to make your tables look better, make them look cleaner. Um, a, a few ideas on how to restructure them to make them more condensed. Um, so there's a few ideas there, but just to expand on that. So the question was, how do you make them more aesthetically pleasing? So number one is like, I'd say give them like more space developers have a, like a, a habit of making everything really crammed in there and it makes it hard to like scan the table. I'd say make a habit of considering alignment on your tables. So if you have like a really, like it's really like a, a number heavy, like I'd say write, try to write align numbers. So like the magnitudes line up and make them easier to scan. And then 
try to find like other ways to uh, consolidate the the data. Um, maybe you can, if it's not it doesn't need to be sortable, maybe you can consolidate and put two different pieces of data in the same in the same column. Maybe use different visual cues to represent data and how to make them work on mobile. Like I I don't think there's a good answer to that. Yeah, I think the the mobile thing is hard. One thing that I wanted to mention that um, a tip that you just kind of briefly skimmed over there about like combining columns. I think that's a really interesting one because um, like, for example, say you have a table that has, you know, people at your company and it has like their name in one column and maybe their like uh, job title in another column. If you don't actually need to like sort by the job title for any reason, for example, which maybe you do, right? And if you do, then don't do it this way. But if you know you don't, then you can take that job title and like put it under the person's name and maybe use like a lighter text color or something. So it looks kind of like secondary information. And now just like the name column is just going to say like Steve Shoger designer. And you can kind of see all that information in one place. It'll kind of yeah. get rid of one of your columns first of all so gives so makes it a little easier to fit everything on the screen but it also just makes the table like look better because normally every single piece of data in a table kind of looks the same like the text color is the same for every single piece of data everything's using the same font weight and stuff so i think anything that you can do to sort of like add some variety to the the table so like maybe like one column is kind of considered like the primary column for the table. And that's the one where people are always kind of scanning, trying to find the information they're looking for. Maybe you should emphasize the data there. So maybe use like a darker text color and like a bold font there. Whereas the rest of the columns use like a lighter font weight and a a lighter text color, or maybe some columns have like information in them that makes sense to sort of embellish with some color. So maybe like it has some statistics and it's like plus 5% or minus 5%. So maybe you use like a different color for negative and positive numbers. Just anything you can sort of do to break up sort of the monotony, I think of the data will help a lot in making it just kind of look better. Yeah. With the two column thing, like usually if you put in two columns, you can, or if you kind of combine two columns, you like the one piece of information is usually just like supporting the other. And it's kind of providing a little bit of, uh, clarity of what that main piece of information is yeah so with the job title for example yeah it's just kind of like oh that yeah that's that guys we're talking yeah about. totally makes sense and um, then for the mo the mobile thing yeah we were kind of talking about that what types do you have there yeah like i don't think there's a good like tables just i, I think it's a problem that everyone's trying to solve and yeah tables aren't just meant for mobile devices but with that said like everyone's trying to like solve for mobile where like they think because they have this data heavy ui that works on that's kind of meant to be browsed on desktop they need to have this responsive version of it and although that's ideal like it's i think it's okay to have like a pinch to zoom for on mobile if, if it's like that's what the purpose of that app is yeah for, right? if it's like you, you sort of have to d- decide on the trade-off right like i think exactly. there, there are lots and lots of like table heavy interfaces that are meant to be looked at on a real computer and, and not even from like a design perspective, but from like a, if you were to analyze when people are going to these pages, they're doing it on their computer. You know what I mean? Like say you're designing like a dashboard for someone who like works at a call center or something. They're not like checking that information when they're like out at the bar on their phone. They're checking it when they're at work, sitting in front of their computer, doing their job. Exactly. Um, so, I think it's important to like double check for sure. Like does this data actually need to be like really ergonomic to use on uh, mobile or is that like a really rare case? And if it's a really rare case, 
I can say like my preference as a user is like, if I'm not actually using it on my phone ever, except for like emergencies, I almost would prefer to get the full desktop experience because first of all, I'm never looking at the app normally on my phone. So I'm not sort of learning the nuances of the mobile version of the interface. I'm only kind of familiar with how to use the desktop one. So I'd rather see the zoomed out one and just kind of zoom in. Like it's not like the best experience, but it's better than losing information and stuff like that. Yeah. Like one of the more popular, one of the more popular ones I see is like just like the horizontal scrolling. And that's, that's kind of like an okay solution but it's just like you can't really skim everything but like it's kind of like when you have that full desktop view on your mobile device you can kind of take in everything at a glance and if you see kind of any any high severity things you can kind of pinch to zoom to see zoom in on that one thing but you can kind of get that bird's eye view if you just have that i think no matter what there's gonna be like compromises right because you just don't have as much space so i think like the horizontal scrolling thing that's cool i think the only thing probably to to just like clear up there is you don't want it to just be like overflowing the whole UI where you scroll left and like all the page content goes away just so you can see the rest of the table. Yeah. Like ideally you want that table in like a container that has its own scrolling. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and that like works pretty well. I think another option that there's, there's two other like mobile specific options that I've seen that I like. Uh, one is depending on how much data there is, just switch from like a table view to just kind of like more of a stacked view where you have Mm -hmm. all the information that would have been in one row, just kind of stacked and organized together and then Mm -hmm. kind of like separate each, you know, say you have like six columns, right? Instead of when you try and collapse that down to mobile, you just have like one square that has all six pieces of data just kind of organized in a way that is logical on mobile. Maybe it's stacked. Maybe there's some things on the right, whatever. And you kind of just like separate each one of these blocks with like a border or like a subtle different background color or something. So it's basically just like a bunch of like stacked cards on the same. Yeah. That's one, that's one way of doing it. I mean, another thing to do is, is create like some kind of the identifier of that table and have that as like the, the main thing you see and then maybe click to it brings you to another page of all the other data yeah i was gonna say i think that's that's another good example um so the place i've seen that is on stripes dashboard mobile app so if you go to like the stripe dashboard on your computer you have this big table that has all this data in it and you can click through and see more data but you know in general the table has most of the pieces of information that you need mm-hmm. but on the mobile app they give you just like instead of like a table it's really just like a list and each item in the list includes like the amount for the charge the date of the charge and maybe the email so just kind of three pieces of information stacked and they're just meant to be clicked through and they click over to a screen that has the rest of the details so if you know that like people are going to be looking through the list for only one or two pieces of data that can be a good option now if you're one of those people who's in the situation where it's like well every column is important there might be data in every column every column needs to be visible then you just kind of have to accept the fact that there's no great compromise on mobile you're never going to be able to make it as good on mobile as it is on desktop you're going to have to make it worse in some way Um, so you just kind of have to decide what way that is like whether it's more clicks to get to the rest of the information that's one way you could make it worse another way you can make it worse is just by hiding that information entirely another way that you could make it worse is by forcing people to have to scroll or another way that you can make it worse is by making someone have to zoom in and zoom out the whole page like those are a handful of different possible yeah. options that you could and kind just of pick the one that between. you think is the least worse and it's to, yeah exactly <laughs> it, you have to make it worse in in some way you just have to decide which of those ways is you know, has the lowest impact for the way that I know that 
people are using my particular site, you know? Yeah, definitely. Cool. So let's take a look at this list and see if there's uh, some good questions in here. Here's one that I kind of like, which is from Vincent, which is what are some guidelines uh, basically for styling multiple secondary actions on the same page? You know, so you have, say you have a page that's got like a main action and you kind of know that the main action is supposed to be kind of given your brand color or whatever primary color, but you also have like maybe three other actions that someone can take. Like how do you choose colors for those actions and stuff? So yeah, it's okay to have like multiple multiple secondary actions um like my general rule is like have one primary action try to have one primary action on a page yeah and this is usually like the solid high contrast button on the page and then have a few secondary actions and then like i usually style these as like an outline or give them like a soft light background something that's just much more lower contrast to the primary yeah action and then, and then you'll have like a bunch of tertiary actions and I usually do these like as like a text link. Yeah. I think like usually. the interesting or the important takeaway there is like, it's okay for all your secondary actions to look the same, like in yeah. terms of color choice. I think a lot of people sort of have it baked into their head that like every action needs to sort of be like it's identifiable visually, you know, like they all sort of yeah. need to like look unique in some way. And I don't know like where that, that comes from, but I know that I used to kind of think that way too. It's just kind of like some intuitive thing that is baked into you for some reason that you, that you kind of think like, okay, well every action kind of has to be identifiable in some unique way. But if you go check out like a lot of your favorite sites and sort of like audit them to see like what they're doing for things like that, you'll notice really fast that like most sites don't have like a bunch of different button colors unless they're ugly. <laughs> they usually have right. just like the the primary button, which is going to be maybe like their brand color or something yeah. like that. And then like, there's also cases where it's like, like if you're trying to do like a high severity action and you want to confirm it, you might get like a modal that pops up there. You might use like a red uh, action. Yeah, sure. So in that case you do have like different colors, but for the most part, like for secondary actions, like, yeah, I just have like one secondary action. Like they might be like different, like like button sizes sure in some cases depending on where it is on the ui but it might it will always have the same style if it's like an outline style or like a lower contrast yeah 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 the most common thing i see is just kind of like a grayscale for secondary buttons a lot of the times like um the one i'm thinking of in my head is netlify which is like a really nicely designed site they have kind of like a teal color that they use for primary actions but all the secondary actions are just kind of like light gray buttons with like dark gray text and sometimes mm-hmm. they have like five or six of them on the same page and it looks fine um yes and i i mean and by fine i mean it, like it actually looks good it looks great if you try to do anything like if you try to make, introduce more variety color wise you're just going to kind of make it look like a circus or something exactly yeah exactly. it's not going to look good Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So there are two major problems with relying on your users to submit bug reports to you when they find something broken in your app. Number one, you can't discover all bugs this way. And number two, some users don't even bother submitting bug reports. They just wait for you to fix it, and if you don't, they just leave the service. Now, the best software teams practice proactive error monitoring, which means you detect all the errors in your production apps and services in real time, and then you can debug important errors in minutes or hours, often before your users even notice. Uh, teams from big companies you might have heard of, like Twilio, CircleCI, Instacart, they use Rollbar to do this. 
With Rollbar, you get a real-time feed of all your errors so you know exactly what's broken in production, and Rollbar automatically collects all the relevant data and metadata you need to debug those errors so you don't have to waste time sifting through logs. Debugging errors with Rollbar is crazy fast. You get the exact stack trace linked directly into your code base, the request parameters to easily reproduce the issue yourself, a data on which user is affected so you know if it's the same user repeating the same error again, what browser and operating system, basically everything you need all in one place. They also have this awesome telemetry feature that's kind of like getting a black box recorder after a crash but for errors. It shows you all the browser events leading up to that error. Uh, so if you aren't using Rollbar already, there's a special offer just for full stack radio listeners. If you head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio, create an account and install Rollbar in your application, Rollbar will give you a $100 gift card that you can spend to support any of your favorite open source projects at Open Collective. So thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast this week. Back to the show. So a bunch of the other questions that we got, basically all the remaining questions were stuff related to this refactoring your eye project that we've been working on. So um, refactoring your eyes, sort of two things. It's sort of this brand that we've created over the past year or two with like all the Twitter tips and like the YouTube channel and a couple blog posts and stuff. Um, but we've sort of like taken that brand and repurpose it for this, this product that we're working on, which, which started out as just a book, but now it's like a book, a bunch of screencasts, a bunch of like color palette recommendations, font palette recommendations, custom icons, kind of this like component gallery, like a bunch of really, really interesting pieces. So I thought it would be cool to, instead of just trying to go through and answer these questions, um, without providing context, maybe it would be better to just kind of talk about this thing, share all the details and talk about some of the problems that we're trying to solve with it and uh, kind of answer everyone's questions just sort of by accident, by just kind of covering mm-hmm. everything. Um, and then I think we're probably also going to some share a couple details about the, the release date too, which I think some people are excited about. So, so maybe I'll start by talking about the book itself. So this whole project kind of started out primarily as a book. Like we had some ideas for, you know, including some supplementary content and stuff as well. But at this point, the book, it is kind of like an equal piece of the whole package as a bunch of a bunch of the other stuff. So like the website, for example, is refactoringui.com slash book. But at this point, that's a bit of a misnomer. I don't think it's really fair to even call this thing a book. There is a book that's part of it. But we've sort of been thinking about it in our heads now as like this survival kit for developers who are kind of trying to handle design on their own. So it kind of has all these different pieces designed to solve all sorts of different problems. So one of those pieces, like I said, is is the book component. And the goal of the book is really just to try and give you every piece of information and every design idea we could sort of think of that would help you be better at producing a good designs. So it's pretty comprehensive in terms of covering like everything, uh, definitely everything I know about making something look good. And I think um, everything Steve knows that he was able to kind of directly address that isn't just like baked into his caveman muscle memory from doing design for, for so long. But the book itself is, I think like the inspiration that I kind of took when I was trying to structure this book and actually write the chapters is my favorite books that I've read in recent memory are the Basecamp books, like Getting Real, Rework, Remote, and most recently, It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. They have this really great style 
where every single chapter sort of stands on its own. You can basically flip to any page of the book. The chapters are only like two pages long. You can read a chapter on its own and get like some interesting takeaway. It's not like a more traditional book where you sort of have to read it from beginning to end and everything sort of builds on each other. The reason I love this approach of like trying to make thing, everything sort of independent is it makes it so much easier to consume, right? It's not this huge commitment to like sit down and work through it and take notes and make sure that you do it in a short period of time so that you're not kind of forgetting what you read 30 pages ago and and stuff like that. So I thought it would be really cool to try and take that format and try and do a design book using that format. So what we did is we kind of took everything we could think of to teach about design and broke it up into a handful of categories. Uh, what do you think, Steve? Should I should I share all these category titles on the podcast? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So it's broken up into, I don't know, maybe it's about eight or nine sections. So the first section of the book is called Starting from Scratch. And this section of the book contains a bunch of chapters about basically starting from a blank canvas, like things to keep in mind when you're working on a new design. Um, So some of the chapter titles there are things like start with a feature, not a layout, Um, choose a personality, limit your choices, a couple other ones that maybe I'll kind of keep secret until a bigger reveal later. Uh, The next section in the book is, is all about hierarchy. So it's called Hierarchy is Everything, which kind of communicates this belief that we have that almost everything that makes a design look good just comes down to figuring out how to communicate to the user, which information is important, and which information is not important. It's surprising like how good you can make something look just by kind of following that as sort of like your golden rule. Um, So this kind of includes chapters like not all elements are equal. Semantics are secondary sizes and everything. We kind of tried to take this approach with the chapter titles too, where they sort of have like a bit of a bit of an attitude to them or like are trying to communicate a point instead of just making them like a description of, of the content inside of them, uh, which I think has been kind of fun. Uh, the next section is this whole section dedicated to layout and spacing. So, you know, how to put together all the pieces in a UI and make them actually work well together and look good. So we got some uh, controversial titles there, like grids are overrated or uh, you don't have to fill the whole screen or relative sizing doesn't scale, you know, some, some interesting points there that I think we have kind of a unique take on. Uh, the next section in the book is on designing text. So just how to make text look good, how to choose fonts, you know, how to figure out the right line height, stuff like that. So we've got uh, chapters like line height is proportional or, um, not every link needs a color or keep your line length in check. Some, some good tips there. And, and all these chapters are, they're, they're longer than they look longer than they are because of how image heavy they are. Uh, but that's something that we can talk about in a minute, maybe after I kind of cover the rest of these section titles. So next section in the book is working with color. So we kind of talk about everything you need to know about color as far as we're concerned. Then there's a whole section with about five chapters in it on creating depth. So how you kind of add some dimension to an interface and kind of make it feel like something deeper than just like a flat screen. Uh, there's an, the next section is on working with images. So how to make sure that like text looks good when you're overlaying it on images. Um, you know, how to make sure that uh, you're using images at their intended size. So you don't have like weird scaling problems or tips for making user uploaded images like look good and consistent throughout a UI. Uh, then we have kind of like a whole kind of grab bag section on finishing touches, which is just loaded with a bunch of different tips on 
how to take something that maybe looks plain or boring and kind of spice it up a little bit and make it look more designed. And then the whole book finishes off with just a chapter on sort of how to continue your learning as a designer and how to keep getting better. Um, So the book itself, I've got, I think, one chapter left to write now, and it's tallying up at about 270 pages right now. I think after we do some typesetting work and try and clean up some of the layout, uh, we might lose a few pages there. So I think it's going to be about 250 pages total. But even though that sounds like a lot, again, the book, the chapters are so image heavy that I'm pretty sure I'll have to check once, once we're done, I'll sit down and read the whole thing with a timer, but I would be surprised if it takes longer than two hours uh, to get through the whole book. And that's really, really deliberate. Like I really hate books where, you know, there's like four pages that could have been distilled down into one sentence just because they're trying to blow up the page count to make it look good on the bookshelf or whatever. So for us trying to keep everything as brief as possible was sort of a goal and we kind of think of it as a feature. So um, I know like one of the biggest problems people have when they buy a book is they buy it as sort of an aspirational purchase, hoping they're going to be able to get through it. And then they never spend the time to work through it because they just, they can't make the time to commit to it. So by trying to structure the book in a way where first of all, every chapter is totally independent and uh, making the chapters really short and trying to make the whole book something that you can consume really fast. We're hoping it's something that people are going to buy and actually work through unlike probably you know 75 percent of the books uh people actually buy so so like i mentioned like every chapter is super 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 image heavy i think there's no fewer than three images in any chapter and some of them have as many as like 12 images in a single chapter so uh maybe steve do you want to talk about like some of the things that you were keeping in mind as you were trying to put together these like supporting images for some of the ideas that we were trying to share in the book yeah um so yeah there's like a lot of images in the book i think there's like 250 images is that uh, there's at least that i I think it'll be probably closer to like 275 or something yeah there's like an image for every yeah there's like an image for like every 60 words you write so (laughs) yeah there's definitely an image for like every two sentences for sure it's uh so that really fills with the book and uh, it, every image kind of just supports what the text is saying. And, and it, that's obviously the primary goal with each of the images is just make sure, to make sure it communicates what, what we're trying to say in the book. Um, but within that, I also try to keep in mind, like I wanted to like design interfaces that were at least like achievable for like, maybe if a developer is like, looking at the the design they might be inspired they might want to create it themselves in in code and the other thing i had in mind was like although all the images are like there to communicate the one the one thing that we're talking about in the text i also try to like put a little bit more in the images so there's like maybe some like hidden gems so like when you're looking at the image it's like we're not talking about that thing directly but it might like spark an idea that you can apply to your own ui um yeah we might address somewhere else in the book but Totally. And I think that's really cool because like, for example, like say there's a chapter where we're talking about like how to balance sort of the color between like icons and text for something. Um, instead of having an image, that's just like an icon with some text next to it and kind of like showing it like Steve has put together like completely custom interfaces that just happen to include those elements in them. Um, mm-hmm. And the image sort of always shows what we're trying to teach in context um, yeah, and there's first, always emphasis on that one thing, whether it's through like an annotation or it's just that's just the way it was the UI was kind of designed. But yeah, yeah. I've designed a lot of just like full 
applications. So many made up apps to like communicate one or one or two things. Like I'll design an entire app to communicate like how to design like a drop shadow effectively. (laughs) Exactly. And I think like what's good about that is first of all, um, you learn more when you see it in the context of an actual app, right? It's, it's easier to understand like the benefit of the idea or how it actually works. But then like you kind of mentioned, there's always elements in these pictures too, that, that aren't what we're even talking about, but they're just as well designed. So there's going to be a lot of things that you can just look at in a chapter where maybe you're trying to learn about like styling icons, but like Steve has done something kind of interesting with this table and you know, maybe it was even subconscious or something, but there's more to learn from the images than just like specifically what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of fake apps in this. A lot of, I've used the same app after you design 250 images, you run out of ideas of apps (laughs) and you get so carried away with like trying to like make sure the apps functionality makes sense even though it's totally irrelevant (laughs) it's true like just trying to make sure that the example text is good and like people's names that's the part that kills me is reading all the all the fake text that i write like it's not real it doesn't mean anything but it's like you want it to i i want it to like i don't want to put lorem ipsum in there i want it to be like believable realistic yeah yeah (laughs) i think like the other good point that you mentioned just to kind of expand on is you talked about like trying to make sure that all the all the interfaces are achievable achievable. and i think like what what you kind of mean there and i think what's interesting to talk about a bit more is uh what you're kind of saying is like the the uis and the examples aren't like super heavily dependent on stuff like custom illustrations or like beautiful photography stuff that's just like unavailable to someone who doesn't have Mm -hmm. like isn't an illustrator or like isn't a photographer so like all the examples are intentionally designed to be like this looks super pro and like a really well-designed app but there's nothing here that you couldn't do like there's it's not like this only looks good because this beautiful illustration that you'll never be able to replicate it's like it looks good and the reason it looks good is because like you picked a good font you picked the right values for the shadows you have like a nice border radius stuff that like anybody can do that doesn't require like artistic talent it just requires being able to type the characters in your css file exactly exactly yeah cool man so i don't know is there anything else that you think is like worth worth talking about with the book we kind of talked about the length kind of covered a bunch of the the topics uh that are in there and talked about yeah like i I just think it's a great um like you said you can kind of open it up anytime and kind of just read any chapter. It's a good reference too. It's not just like a read it from beginning to end. It's kind of like you can open it up, start anywhere and, or just kind of like go back to it and refresh your memory on something. It's, it's just a really good kind of like almost like a pocket guide. Always yeah. just kind of referring to it while you're designing your UI. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty exciting, man. Like it's a, it's been a slog working on this thing for sure, but we're basically, I thought, at- I, I, thought I would hate you more by, this time (laughs) like working on this project but yeah it's been it's been fun it's been hard but i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty proud of of where we're at like i can definitely say like with some seriousness to it that if this book existed like five or six years ago when i got serious about trying to get better at design as a developer i think like it would have saved me weeks and months and months of research and trying to find things myself like there's literally nothing that i know about making things look good that i wouldn't have learned from this book in like this two hour sitting which is pretty wild 
I think I can support that. Like, I think this is kind of the book I wish I had when I started designing. Yeah. Like 10, 10 years ago. And I think it, like, it, the only other thing to mention that we didn't talk about actually is like, we very intentionally took kind of an approach where we're not really like wasting a lot of time on stuff that's like too theoretical or academic. You know what I mean? Like we don't talk about like the differences between like a humanist sans serif versus like a grotesque sans serif or any of these things that are, are more for that just like don't really matter as someone who's just like a coder trying to make something look awesome. Like we don't really talk about like a lot of color theory. Like we, we do talk about color theory in some sense, but we cover it in a way that's designed to like give you a skill and make you more effective at what you're doing. There's not a lot of time spent on stuff that's just like academically interesting. You know what I mean? It's all designed to be like, here is knowledge that you can use instantly to make stuff look better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about like the next kind of component of this whole product, which is uh, the screencasts that you kind of put together. So what are those all about? Yeah, so um, there's a few screencasts attached to this whole package, and uh, they take poorly designed UIs and turn them into a good UI by the end, and I kind of talk through the process, taking concepts that are covered in the book. It's kind of taking everything that's from the book and applying it to like a real UI. There's three, I think, right? There's like one screencast that's, kind of designed to teach you everything you need to know about styling kind of like lo- longer form content like making like yep. an article or a blog post yeah like there's look kind of really three good. different areas there's there's one that's like for forms designing forms um there's one that's kind of like a text heavy ui so working with uh with type and how yeah. to make it look good and the last one is more like data heavy so it's uh, kind of like a dashboard or something like that yeah it's like a dashboard for like uh like a fictional invoicing app so um how to structure um, like tables and and just different ways of organizing yeah, data. Cool, and, and um, the same they're the same like fast pace as the YouTube videos. Uh, yeah, so it's not uh, like you're going to be sitting there for an hour watching you build something really slowly. It's kind of like everything is kind of trimmed down, so all the information is there, but there's not a bunch of wasted time or anything. Yeah, so it has a lot of energy, and it's like, it's just super fun to watch, and um, yeah. Yeah, cool. I think what's really cool about those is like it takes a lot of the like, okay, so maybe stepping back a little bit. One of the things we kind of didn't struggle with, but a decision we had to make with the book was like how to organize it. Like, should we have a section in the book on like designing landing pages or designing forms or designing whatever? And ultimately, we decided that it made more sense to group things in the book based on sort of like the underlying idea that we're trying to teach, right? So things like how to create depth or how to work with images effectively or understanding how to effectively use color. So the right. tips in the book are all still like super tactical and practical and they all have real world examples in them. But again, they're kind of like categorized based on the sort of thing that they're like trying to teach you. Exactly. And, and the screencasts are kind of like the opposite. The screencasts are kind of like taking a lot of different information from the book that's maybe scattered and kind of showing like how can you combine a lot of the things that are taught throughout the whole book and apply it to like a particular use case so this way we kind of get the best of both worlds you have this like really good kind of searchable and skimmable resource to learn all the different stuff in a little bit more depth and then you can actually like watch someone who's like a skilled designer reference and apply the content from the book to actually building a real ui so you can sort of yeah. see how to apply it yeah practice. i think i think that's where it became necessary to make all these additional uh 
things that are attached to this resource. Like, cause I think we originally had a section uh, when we were making the skeleton for the book, we had a kind of a section on putting it all together. And um, there's just no way to really capture that in the book. Like, like we could in the video. So. It, it just would have been like 75 pages with like image after image where there was only like one thing different in each image. And it just yeah. like, it, it's much better to watch it in like a, in a way where it's like dynamic and alive and you can actually watch things kind of change. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Odeer. So Odeer is a tool that makes it really simple to monitor your website's uptime and get notified if your site goes down. Now, what makes Odeer different than a lot of other uptime monitoring tools is that it doesn't simply monitor a single URL. Uh, instead, you provide Odeer with your base URL, so like fullstackradio.com, for example, and not only will Odeer verify that that URL is working, it'll actually follow all of the links on that page, crawling your entire site looking for any issues that it finds, uh, not just issues on the homepage. It'll let you know whenever your site isn't responding, uh, if any of your pages have any mixed content warnings, as well as if it finds any broken links anywhere on the entire site. Uh, oh dear will also monitor your SSL certificates, so of course it can let you know if one of your certificates is going to expire soon, uh, but it'll also monitor your entire certificate chain, making sure that none of the intermediate certificates have been revoked or having any other issues. Uh, it'll also monitor your SSL certificates for a whole bunch of other complicated stuff that I don't even understand, but if any of it broke or was misconfigured, that stuff would all take your site down, so oh dear will let you know about all those problems as soon as they happen so you can fix them right away. Uh, so how do you find out when something is busted if you're using Odeer? Well, Odeer can actually send you notifications through tons of different notification platforms. Uh, so you can configure it to send you notifications via email, uh, via SMS directly to your phone, uh, via Slack, via Discord, and a bunch more as well. If you happen to be a user of Laravel Forge, Odeer can actually import all of your sites from Forge using the Forge API and start monitoring everything for you automatically. So if you're looking for an awesome uptime monitoring solution, definitely head over to odeer.com app and if you use the coupon code full stack radio all uppercase all one word they'll give you 50 percent off of your first month so thanks to odir for sponsoring the podcast this week back to the show cool so uh the next piece is uh all these like color palettes like these kind of pre-built color palettes that we put together so i mean i can speak to kind of the motivation behind this a little bit and then maybe you can kind of add your two cents but Something that's always really annoyed me as a developer who has, you know, been trying to find resources online for design is color. Um, There's all these sites out there where you go in and like you hit some button and it like tries to randomly generate some theoretically beautiful color palette where you know the relationship between each color is like scientifically perfect or whatever. And what you end up with on the screen is like these five vertical columns that looks like one of those paint swatches you'd get at the paint store when you're trying to pick like shades of paint. And it's like, here's your five perfect shades that you can build the perfect website with. And it's like, you go through those and you kind of like check all the best upvoted color palettes or randomly generate them until you find one that you like. But the problem is like, it's not realistic to actually apply that to an app in any sort of sane way like you still have to do so much work of like figuring out okay which of these colors is like my primary color how many shades of that color do i need because you can't just have like blue and like make your whole site just use one shade of blue you need darker blue for some places lighter blue for other places Um, none of these palettes ever include like a gray 
and you need like a full pretty intense like deeply thought out grayscale to build any site like 90 percent of any user interface is like grayscale right it's like whites yeah. and and shades of gray and then there's like a splash of color for things like errors or primary buttons and stuff like that so so anyways all that to say all the existing stuff that i've ever seen that tries to like provide me with a color palette for a web ui has just been useless so we thought like this is a problem that developers have they need to know like what colors should i pick for my site what colors going to look good together how should they be used in the ui we thought we could solve this problem in a better way by like actually taking it seriously and actually trying to solve the problem directly so we've put together this like big resource of color palettes Uh, we're still adding more to it right now but i think we've already got 12 fully thought out color palettes and each color palette has this like mock-up ui that shows the color palette applied to all different sections of it like where like what color you might use for the nav bar Um, what shades of gray you might use for different headlines or for different pieces of text, where you should sort of include these accent colors for different highlighted things. Um, It just shows like all these colors in the palette in context so you can actually see what an app would look like built with this palette. And then all the colors that are included in the palette are actually categorized in useful ways so you actually know how to use them. So each palette has one, sometimes two primary colors and for that for those colors we include like 10 shades going from like a dark one all the way up to like a really light one Uh, we also include a whole section on like your neutrals which is like your grays so we include like 10 grays again going all the way from really dark gray up to a really light gray and then we have this section that i think we call it like supporting colors in each palette colors or like accent colors yeah so each palette has like at least four, sometimes up to six supporting colors. And those colors are colors that are like handpicked to like work nicely with the primary color. Um, And they are meant to be used for like a bunch of different use cases. And the color palettes kind of like talk about this in a little bit more detail in the actual resource itself kind of says how you should use them but you might have like a set of reds that you should be using for like danger and error states and almost every ui is going to have this color right like they're going to have maybe it's pink in some uis maybe it's like a warmer red in other uis but they always have this sort of like color associated with error or danger that you want to use for semantic purposes and we give you like 10 shades of that so you can have that full variety Um, a lot of them have like a like a green for like a success state or like a positive trend state or something like that with all the different shades for that and then there's also just colors that are just meant to be used strictly as just accent colors so they don't really have any semantic purpose but they're designed to complement the primary color but also stand out so like an example say you have like a nav bar for your app and you just added like a brand new feature to the app which meant that there was a new item in the nav bar so maybe you want to have like a badge next to that item that says new so to call like users attention to it so when they visit your site they kind of see oh there's like a new item in the nav here what is that so you might use one of these accent colors for that so it sort of stands out on the screen and catches your attention but it's a color like chosen very carefully to complement the rest of the color palette uh, really nicely so steve you've put like a ton of work into putting those color palettes together so do you have anything to add there yeah um like so another thing i like i did is like we provide all these color palettes but like at the end of it we had like 
all these swatches that I was kind of basing th- those color palettes on and I was kind of picking them, tweaking them, modifying them a bit to support that specific example I was making. Um, but then at the end of it too, we also have this big selection of colors that if you want to go ahead and create your own palettes from that, you have the opportunity yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, I forgot and, about that. And, and then we also have like this in in the book, we also provide a little bit of a framework to uh, to build your own palettes, but this, this supporting resource will just give you kind of a, a quick start to get you there yeah you know yeah it's really sweet like i'm a i'm excited to use it i think i'm going to do a screencast or something in the upcoming week or two where i kind of show how to kind of use some of these resources from the book and kind of walk through an example of what it might look like to actually build a ui taking advantage of some of this stuff to show you like just how much faster it is and just how much easier it is to make these decisions without having to do everything from scratch yeah definitely um, so the next thing was, you know, similar to color palettes, like another problem that people have. And I mean, this was like one of the first questions that we had on this Q&A was how to choose fonts. Yeah. So, I mean, right now, that's not that much different from color palettes in terms of it being an annoying problem. Like you go to something like Google fonts and, you know, there are ways to make sure that you pick high quality fonts. Like we've shared some advice for that, but it's still hard to maybe like decide which of those high quality fonts you actually want to use because what you get on these sites is like, maybe they'll show you like a headline preview and like a body copy preview. Or sometimes maybe you just see like a big vertical list where you just see like the quick Brown Fox jumped over the lazy dog and 20 different fonts and you have to choose from it in this context that's not really like that similar to what it's going to look like in your app right yeah so yeah do you want to spend a little bit of time talking about like what we did for these font recommendations and how it's kind of organized so yeah so like you said you go to these tools and they don't really provide you any context of how to use these in a ui so we kind of tackled this problem the same way we kind of tackled the color problem is we kind of designed an example of a UI and showed the font that we recommended in context of that. And we also like designed a few different examples because there's so many different categories that fonts fall into. So we have like a UI for headline fonts and we show it's the same UI every for every single font. So you can kind of compare them so you can see all that different headline fonts and how it's like used like on maybe like a blog post. And then we have a category for like UI, like application UIs. So so stuff like buttons and labels and navigation and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And you can kind of see it in context. It's again, it's the same UI and you kind of compare all the different fonts. It's a different and UI, it, but it's the same for all the examples. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So like for the headings, there's like one example and we show all the different heading font recommendations in that same example. And then yeah, for like and interface fonts, there's like an interface example that shows all those different interface fonts in that example. Exactly, exactly. And then the last one is, what was the last one? We either, I can't remember what we called it, but it's basically like for long form text, like articles or blog posts or documentation. Yeah, exactly. So for like kind of like body copy. Yeah. Because yeah. like sometimes like a headline font, like you could use the same font for body copy that you use for a headline. Um, but sometimes you might want more of a display font for a headline. And sometimes you just want something that's more legible for body. So sometimes yeah. there's like, like we're using the same font for all three of those scenarios, but uh, we're just kind of showing it in context if you want to use that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Cool. So the, I guess it's the fifth, the fifth component of this whole thing is uh, this icon set uh, that yes. you put together. So I'll kind of leave that to you. Yeah. That's kind so, of in your... Well, we have this kind of like definitive 
design resource for developers and i guess it would just feel like complete without um an icon set that you can use for your projects and i mean this isn't just like any other icon set that has like one style like it it is like kind of like one style but you can kind of customize it to um you can it's kind of like a duotone icon set so you can choose like two different colors to align to your brand yeah, so it's pretty cool. It, um, I've been working on that for kind of passively since we started the project. And how many icons is it right now? I think 200. 200. I'm going to add a few more before before we launch it, but there's about 200 right now. Yeah. It has all, like all the essentials. Like basically, it has like I, I even tweeted out once, like asking, like, what essential icons do we need for this set? And um, yeah, I got a bunch of feedback and I added those since I had most of them. Yeah. I think like what I like about it is, um, there's a lot of free icon sets out there, but in a lot of free icon sets, the consistency isn't really there. Like sometimes like you'll see a set that has like 5,000 icons and that sounds like impressive at first, but the reason that there are 5,000 icons is because there's so many icons that like are done in completely different styles and don't really like necessarily go well together. So that's kind of like makes it hard for you to put together a a well-designed UI if you don't really have the eye to really see like when these two icons don't really necessarily go that well together and then the other thing about like using free icon sets is just everyone else is using them too right so people start to like font awesome everyone can see when you're using font awesome just like someone can see when you're using bootstrap or something so I think what's cool about having this icon set sort of exclusive with this kind of thing that we're putting together is not as many people are going to be using it, right? So you're going to stand out a little bit more. And that combined with the fact that you can customize it with just CSS to sort of change the colors to make it match your brand a bit means that even when multiple people are using the icon set, it's going to look different on everybody else or sorry, on everyone's sites, which mm-hmm. is cool because it, it kind of makes it feel like you have um, like custom icons for your site. It kind of feels like something a little bit more bespoke and not just like generic, which is uh, really cool for just, you know, upping the ante on like your design and kind of making it feel like it had a bit more of a professional touch to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really happy with the, the outcome of those. I think like, I mean, they're great just as like a product on its own, but I think they just fit so well into this package that we had to include them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sweet. So the last piece of this package, I guess is like the sixth piece is this uh, component gallery that we've been working on. So this is actually pretty cool. I think it's going to be cooler than people necessarily expect and the problem that we're trying to solve is whenever you start on a new design and you're sort of starting from a blank canvas there's all these decisions that you have to make about how to lay out different pieces of an app and most of the time you're not like inventing something innovative or brand new from scratch here right so uh, for example, why don't we just use a real example here? Say you're trying to figure out like how you want your top nav bar to look in an app. There's all sorts of different ways you could lay it out, right? Like maybe you got just the icon for your logo on the left and then like the links on the right and like the avatar on the right. Or maybe you have like the logo in the middle of the nav bar like Twitter has and then you have like some links on the left and then an avatar on the right. Or maybe you also have a search and you're trying to figure out is the search like left aligned or the search like right aligned. And what you end up doing is you end up going to like all your favorite websites and SaaS apps, just kind of looking around to kind of see like, okay, this site does it this way, this site does it this way. And you you just kind of try and find one that you kind of like or take a little bit from this one or a little bit from that one and kind of try and put together your own style. The thing about this is it's not really like super practical because you're just trying to find inspiration, right? And you're trying to find it from places that aren't really designed 
to give you the answer. So our goal with the component gallery is to save you the trouble of looking for inspiration on all these different sites and instead kind of put all those different options into one place. So if you're trying to figure out how to lay out your nav bar, you would just go to the nav bars section of the component gallery and there might be like 12 options there that show every possible structure and combination we could possibly think of all using a sort of medium fidelity kind of neutral look. Um, So you can easily just kind of pick the layout that you like and then apply your own branding, your own fonts and all that stuff to it. So we've included all sorts of stuff in there. Like there's navigation bars, for example, there's like pricing page layouts, there's sign up form layouts. Um, there's like whole application layouts. So whether you want a sidebar versus a top nav versus like a three column nav or, you know, basically everything that we could possibly think of in terms of layouts for different components. Uh, we even have like stuff that's at higher fidelity too. So think of something like um, button styles. So how many times have you like, gone to design a new app and had to decide like, oh, how do I want my buttons to look? Do I want like square corners or do I want rounded corners? Or do I want like fully rounded corners, like a pill shape? Or do I want to have like a little bit of a gradient on them? So they sort of look like more 3D or uh, do I want to have kind of like a, a box shadow under them? Or do I want to use uppercase text? Like there's all these like little decisions and combinations you can think of. So in the component gallery, Uh, We just kind of show every single way we could possibly think of to style a button. So you can kind of decide on a style that you like for your app. Same for things like uh, text inputs, for example. So whether you have like an inset shadow or an outset shadow, or again, with all the different rounded corner options and stuff like that. So it's going to be this like really big resource where anytime you need to figure out how to style something or what sort of layout or what sort of treatment to use for something, we're hoping that you can just like open this thing up find the category that you're looking at and kind of see what all the options are and kind of choose one you like. Uh, I don't know, Steve, like, what do you got to add? Yeah. So I think there's about like 20 categories right now. Um, and we're still adding to it. And within each category, there's at least two or three pages per category. Um, and then there's about like four different ideas on each page at least. Um, so it's pretty comprehensive. There's a lot, a lot to browse from and it's kind of divided into anything from like, like you were saying earlier, um, there's kind of components like buttons, tab styles, uh, and then there's more like layout options. So anything from like your application layout to just styling a, uh, like a little card component and laying that out. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm really excited to see the whole thing finished honestly because it's like that's one of the resources that I really wish existed. That's something I've been like searching for online forever is trying to find, you know, pattern galleries or, Anything that kind of just showed me like every possible way to do something so I could pick yeah. an option that I liked for my own site. Yeah. I mean, we try to share as many ideas as possible, but that number is infinite. So it's just like, like we, we have, it's just, it's just a very large collection of ideas. Yeah, for sure. And there's a good example of it. I think um, on Twitter the other day, Derek Reimer, a friend of ours is working on his app called Level and he was sort of sharing some of his Uh, exploration process for styling like the sidebar nav and figuring out how to show if an item was active that sort of thing and it's it's kind of cool because that's like the perfect use case for this thing if you're trying to decide okay well how should i highlight the active navigation item well like component gallery that we're working on shows every idea that at least we could think of for doing that and you can sort Mm -hmm. of decide on something that makes sense for you and a lot of the time you'll probably find ideas in there that you never would have never would have thought of and a lot of the time those ones might be 
you know, the perfect solution. So it yeah. should be and really maybe cool. it just gets you thinking outside the box and maybe you can think of your own after like browsing through it for a bit. Totally. Right? So, yeah, yeah. Maybe you can take a little bit of this example, a little bit of that example and come up with something of your own. Yeah. Cool, man. So that's, that's the whole thing, I guess, right? Like that's all the different pieces that we've been, been working on. So, I mean, something that we've really been wanting to communicate um, for the past couple of weeks now is just like sort of the magnitude of this whole thing. Uh, because for the longest time we kept talking about it as just a book, but I hope we've kind of made it clear through this conversation that the book as awesome as it is and as excited as we are to get it out there, it's, it's only like one component of this whole thing. And I think the whole thing is going to provide so much value to people and help people, you know, design so much more efficiently and create stuff that they are really proud of. So the question that everybody has been asking is, uh, when is it going to be released? So what do you think, Steve? Should we spill the beans on the release date for Refactoring yeah. UI? Yeah, so it's going to be released next week, Tuesday, December 11th, um, probably in the morning sometime. It's hard to say when what time it will be released at. I don't want to commit to a time, but that morning. Yeah. It'll be out that morning that, that for morning sure. That morning sometime. Probably. Eastern, Eastern time. So if you're from Australia, you might be going to bed by the time we release Yeah, the Australians will have to wait. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it'll be at Tuesday morning, Tuesday, December 11th. So we're recording this on Tuesday, December 4th. So it's exactly seven days from now. I've got one more chapter to write. We've got some ideas for more color palettes that we want to add, maybe some more font recommendations and uh, a bunch more components. So we're going to be grinding away at that to kind of get the whole thing buttoned up. But uh, still a lot of work to do, but it feels very, very close. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Steve Shoger. If you're interested in learning more about Refactoring UI, head over to refactoringui.com slash book and enter your email. We're going to send out a big email update this weekend that includes all the details about all the different components, as well as pricing information for people who are excited to pick it up. So again, everything is going to be released this Tuesday, December 11th. If you're listening to this after December 11th, then it's already available. Head over to refactoringui.com slash book and you'll be able to check it out there. Thanks to Rollbar and Odeer for sponsoring the podcast this week. See you next time.